can't imagine what it must have been like for those that were alive at Christ's first coming. Um, there, there wasn't anything that gave them an indication that um, he was coming. Thank you. Didn't, didn't trust me to stay play in one place, did they? <clears throat> That's just evidence that you can have good intentions, but it doesn't always work, right? Um, but in trying to think of, of those people that were alive in Christ's day, um, as I said, they, they had no indication that something great was going to happen. They hadn't heard anything from any of the prophets, as we mentioned this morning, for 400 years. So, I mean, think of that. Generationally, I mean, the stories that are passed on from one generation to another... 400 years. What do you know about your family 400 years ago? I don't know anything about my family 400 years ago. Um, let alone history-wise, we know a little bit about what happened 400 years ago. But um, even that, we're, we're very, very limited. <clears throat> and And yet, almost hidden... In, in the time before Christ came, in what we often consider um, remote, minor passages of Scripture, there were promises that true followers of God were aware of and understood, and, and yet... There was still, despite this silence from heaven, there was still this longing for a Redeemer. Honestly, that's pretty miraculous. Because it's one thing to say, there is coming a Deliverer, there is coming a Messiah. And to pass that on to one generation, okay, when is He coming? I don't know, but there's the promise that he's coming. And to keep passing that on for all these years, more than 400 years, and and to still have the anticipation, we can somewhat relate to it. We know that Christ is coming again. And if you grew up, where in a believing home that that was taught, you may say, yeah, I've, I've heard that, and my, I've seen a number of times where I thought his coming should be here. And why hasn't he come already? I mean, how does he put up with us as mankind? And, and we may think, yeah, when is he coming? 
But for his first coming, it was so much more than than what we're dealing with. We have promises of God that we can go back and read. We, especially since um, 1948, seeing God's hand in bringing Israel back and seeing his hand in so many areas. But again, going back to the time of Christ's birth, there was no sign of anything good happening. There really was no sign of God at work. And yet, it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. There was the promise in Genesis 3.15. We're going to see tonight there were other promises. And God gave his word. And in the fullness of time, at the right timing of God, God sent forth his son. And in so doing it, God fulfilled prophecies, and it ought to be a lesson to us that we want to see tonight, that Christ's first coming proves that we can trust his word. Not that we need proof of it, but honestly, we do need proof of it. We need our faith to be bolstered. We need... um, our our faith to be strengthened and established and settled. And as you turn your thoughts, in particular this month, to Christ's coming as a babe born of a virgin, it ought to be a reminder to all of us, wow, there were promises that God made that it didn't look like they'd ever be kept, that Easily forgotten, but in the fullness of time, God kept his word, and those that trusted him had their faith proven and rewarded. As we said, Christ's first coming proves that we can trust his word. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, and... Notice, if you'd look in verse 14, we saw this morning the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. Notice the prophecy of Isaiah some 700 years before Christ was born. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So here's a prophecy. Not just a prophecy, bizarre. 
a virgin. Well, see, it's hard for us to even put this into practice because all our lives this has been the story that we know happened. A virgin did give birth. But when had that ever happened before? It had never happened. It's completely contrary to the laws of nature. It, it, what kind of nut would say that would happen? But this was the prophecy of Isaiah. And turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The passage goes on and and says, Joseph, being a just man, wanted, thought about protecting his name. You know the story. We won't go over it. But here was the fulfillment of prophecy. Some 700 years later, a virgin gave birth to a son. I don't see how this could happen, Isaiah 7, 14. I can't, I can't make this compute. A virgin shall give birth to a son, but God's word can be trusted. Turn to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. If you're in Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, you've gone too far, okay? And if you're in Hezekiah, you better get a new Bible. Micah chapter 5. Now, I'm trying to get us to to picture this. In the book of Micah chapter 5, the prophet says, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old from everlasting. Now, when Micah gave this prophecy, when God gave this prophecy through Micah, Bethlehem was not famous. I didn't do a a study on it, but I wonder how many states in the... Don't Google it right now, okay? You can Google it later, all right? How many states in the United States have a town named Bethlehem? Iowa does. Pennsylvania does. Do you know of any other states? I'd be curious to find out. After, after the service, when you Google it, let me. Bethlehem is famous. But this was, this was like saying, honestly, saying to the world, In Sheraton, Iowa, or even in Iowa, you know, where they grow potatoes. I mean, 
Bethlehem was nothing. And for this prophet to say, in you, Bethlehem, will be born him who was from everlasting. The only reference that that can be to is Jesus Christ. And it would be easy to say, I don't know what Micah was dreaming when he had that. But I I don't see how that. And yet, you know the story, you know the account. We read in Luke chapter 2 that God mightily moved upon Joseph and Mary and brought them And now we sing about Bethlehem. We know Bethlehem. Bethlehem is famous. In an act of God, he fulfilled his word, which, honestly, we would consider the book of Micah. I'm sorry, Micah, but we would consider it obscure, right? When did you last read Micah? When did you last do a book study on Micah? And maybe that's to our shame. But, an obscure, but it's the Word of God, and God says, my Word can be trusted. In what we would probably consider lesser evidences, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but his first coming said that they that which was born of a virgin would be a descendant of David. Now, how many of you have read the genealogies of Matthew 1 or Luke 2? And, okay, you've read them. Now, let me ask this. How many of you, when you've read them, have skipped over them pretty quickly and thought, I don't need to know this? And you know what? You don't need to know all the details of it, but God recorded that for us to show us that this is what I said I'm going to do, and this is exactly what I did. Again, he would be a descendant of David. He said, turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos. So Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Didn't know we were going to have a Bible drill here tonight, did you, huh? Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Wait a minute. Born in Bethlehem, and now he said, out of Egypt, I called my son. Ah, that's not going to happen. But God moved upon Mary and Joseph and said to them, flee to Egypt. See, there's nothing obscure about the Word of God. There's nothing that, oh... You don't need to worry about that. That's just kind of filler. God said, this is my word. This is what I said, and you can trust it. And it was out of Egypt 
And God came and told Joseph and said, it is free for you to go back now to the promised land. It is free for you to go back. And out of Egypt, he was called. So, as we think about Christmas, as we think about Christ coming, and we say, wow, you know, this is evidence of fulfillment of prophecy we really can trust His Word. We, meet, we need to make application in our own life to the same thing. Just as the people alive when He came could trust His Word and every detail of it, we can trust God's Word. And you know, <clears throat> we many times do a good job of that in trusting God for salvation. We come to where we realize there is no salvation by any other but by Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. We come to the Spirit of God awakens us and quickens us to that truth, and we respond to the truth, and we trust God's Word. We trust that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. How do you know you're saved? If you say anything other than a truth of God's word, the promise of God's word, if you say, well, I feel saved, that's not going to cut it. The only reason we know we're saved is based on the promises of God's word. And we can trust that. And, you know... In most situations, we do a good job of trusting that because it's that or nothing. So we can trust God's word for salvation. But do we trust God's word for direction? Do we really believe that this is what God said and he gives the direction in our life? Psalm 32. 7 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The blessed man delighteth in the law of the Lord. Do I really believe that God is, is directing, and do I have a hunger and thirst for the word of God, and know that he is going to direct me, and that I can trust his word? The Lord is my shepherd. That means he directs me. He leads me. Do I really believe that I can trust God's word? We're not going to take specific examples of can you trust him with this or this or this. But the bottom line is, Do we really trust his word, or are we leaning, Proverbs 3, to our own understanding? Do we trust God's word when it says, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. You know this verse, but I want you to see it so that you know that it is... The Word of God. 2 Corinthians 12. 
Paul had said to God, God, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? We can only speculate what it may have been. And God said no. And Paul prayed again and he said, God, please, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? And and it had been easy for him to say, I could serve you better and, and accomplish your purpose. And God said no. And he prayed a third time and God said no. And God said to him in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul went on and said, I can trust God's word. If his grace is going to be sufficient for me, When I come to this weakness, I can trust his word that his grace will be sufficient for me. So I, Paul said, have learned that I will glory in my weakness because when I am weak, then God is strong. Why? Because I can trust his word. And he said, his grace is sufficient for me. I just can't take any more of this. Trust his word. Humanly speaking, you may not be able to. But God promised that his grace is sufficient. And all throughout history... There are example after example after example of individuals that have trusted his word and they have found that his grace is sufficient. We can trust God's grace for the future. I mean, as you look at the future, it is easy to think, what are we bringing up these kids and grandkids in? What kind of world are we bringing them up and what is going to happen? And we can trust his word. His grace will be sufficient. There may be difficult days, but his grace is sufficient. There will never be one person to stand before God and say, God, you did not make available to me the grace that I needed. Never one will be able to say that. His grace is made available to us, and we can trust his word for grace. We can trust his word, and this is this next one is a is a major thing. We can trust his word for justice. There are many people that their life is is permeated with bitterness because something happened and it wasn't right and it wasn't just and they have never been able to get over it and say, God, I'm trusting you that your grace is sufficient. I'm trusting you to bring justice. 
God promised that he would bring justice. He gave us the promise that he will bring every work into judgment. Can I, can I trust God with that? He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. You know, it gets frustrating to me the more corruption that you become aware of in our political and governmental circles. And, and even as the video showed here tonight, you know, praising that which is evil and judging that which is good. And, and, and it can eat at you. You know what? God's going to bring justice. Number one, we don't see things fully. We don't know all the details. God does. I've got enough on my plate to take care of in my own life that for me to be concerned about others, I can trust God that he will make things right. There are are some of you I know that have had gross misunderstandings and and your reputations have been been destroyed in some cases and you think that is not right you can trust God that he'll make it right we don't need to carry the weight of bitterness and then we can trust God for heaven you know, we were reminded again in our Sunday school class um, about the balance that Ecclesiastes gives us. Ecclesiastes says, enjoy the life that God has given you and remember your creator in the days of your youth and, and um, enjoy these gifts that God has given But remember that this world is not your home, so it's a balance. And uh, to weigh heavy on the balance that heaven is something we can trust God for. And in the fullness of time, God will send forth His Son again. I mean... Like I said, I've thought many times, well, God, this would be a perfect time for you to come again. There, You know, I don't know, in my mind I have pictures. There, when You know when the sun shines through clouds and there's streams of sunlight? I think, that would be a perfect, let's go, Lord, we're good to go, you know. The world's a mess enough. I mean... But we can trust God in the fullness of time. It may be five minutes. It may be five months. It may be five years. It may be 50 years. But in the fullness of time, God will send forth his son. Do we trust him? Or are we frustrated and filled with anxiety and We can trust him. Heaven is our eternal home. 
you know what? There are no repairs that need to be made in heaven. No sticky doors, no broken windows, no chimneys to clean, no toilets that plug up, no plumbing that breaks. But most of all, perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we can trust him in his time. D.L. Moody's favorite verse was Isaiah 12:2. I will trust and not be afraid. He used to say, you can travel first class or second class to heaven. Second class is what time I am afraid, I will trust. First class is I will trust. And not be afraid. I thought, that is that is super. That's the better way, to trust and not be afraid. There's, there's always the safety net. What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. But why not travel first class, Moody used to say. Moody also said this. Trust yourself. And you will be doomed to disappointment. Trust your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money. You may have it taken from you. Or ultimately you will leave it. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God. And you will never be confounded in time or in eternity. And what we're remembering at Christmas is a message. There's many, many messages of Christmas. But it's a message. God saying again, you can trust my word. I said I'd send a Messiah. And many people thought, where is he? But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He said, I said I would send my son again. And in Peter's day, they said, yeah, where's the promise of his coming? We've heard about that. And God said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He doesn't just throw out a promise and neglect it. He said, you can trust my word. In the fullness of time, he will come again. What an encouragement. And let this Christmas season be that in your life that you can trust his word. Maybe you're in a situation today that that you say, I, I just don't know that I can go on anymore. His grace is sufficient. Maybe you're saying, I don't know which way to go. You can trust him to direct you. Maybe you've been tied up in knots over injustice, things that just aren't right. You can trust him. I'm going to ask Jason if he'd come and Kathy. And we want to close our service tonight in just singing the song, Trust His Word. And as we do, I want you to, I want you to think, 